morning as we're turning to the scriptures and looking at the birth of the king Jesus none of us would have told the story the way the bible tells it the way the actual events happened we would have never told it that way in fact uh, the reason most people didn't believe on Jesus and accept that he was that long-awaited messiah was because the way it happened didn't seem to be the way they thought they had been told it would happen. They had interpreted the prophecies one way and and forgotten some of those prophecies. And so last week we began um, a series for the the Christmas season entitled It Was Said. And we're going back and looking at some of the prophecies that were spoken concerning the first coming of Christ. But we're taking an angle on it and looking at it as the idea that we are looking at how Jesus fulfilled the first coming prophecies, but yet the unfulfilled prophecies that are still in Scripture, still awaiting their fulfillment, all have to do with the second coming of Christ. And so really when we celebrate Christmas and we reflect back on that time and that moment in history when Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth to be Emmanuel, God with us, which we looked at in depth last week, we discover that it's really a pointing to the second coming, that Jesus will have a second arrival, and the scriptures that have yet been unfulfilled will be fulfilled in that moment. So we're, we're not only looking back and seeing, okay, this is what they said, this is what the prophets said, this is what Jesus did, this is who he was, it's who he is. And it's who he will be. And that's kind of the theme. Who he was. Uh, so it was said. So it was. So it is. And so it will be. So Revelation chapter 1. This is kind of lays the premise for this, this whole foundation. Beginning in verse number 4. Says John. To the seven churches in Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is. Who was. And say it with me. Who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and say this with me, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So it was said, a king would be born. To him, uh, finishing off now, verse number five, to him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's read verse 7 and 8 out loud. Remember uh, in, in verse 3 it says that blessed is the one who reads these words out loud. Let's read them out loud together. Anybody want to be blessed today? Okay. I don't know if this is true, but the louder you read, the more blessed you are. I don't know. I just It makes sense, but I can't guarantee that. I'm just kidding. Here we go. Verse 7. Let's read together. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. Now verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. Amen and amen. So that is the outline that we're following each week. So it was said, so it was, so it is, and so it will be. We're looking forward. We've been in a series leading up to this. In fact, it's kind of a little limb coming off of the trunk of the 
series on signs, seasons, and the second coming. Just focusing on the, on the Christmas season here uh, as a part of that same series. So it was said that a king would be born. You remember in the, the events surrounding the first coming of Christ, about two, two years or so after the birth of Christ, and we have the shepherds at the manger, we have magi coming on the scene. And the Magi came looking for this one, they said, who was born king of the Jews. Now, here's an interesting thing about these uh, Magi. These Magi are from Persia, Medo-Persia region. They are what once was Babylon. They are not necessarily God-fearing, Jehovah God-fearing individuals. In fact, their culture is pretty pagan. They are astrologers who watch the signs in the heavens and they've seen a star. But there's an interesting question that we need to, to, to see and to, to think about and then to answer. How did these guys from so far away know that that star was the sign of a king who would come? Well, they knew that it would be a supernatural thing and they saw the signs in the heaven. But if you think about it, when uh, about 500 years earlier, several hundred thousand Israelites were exiled out of Jerusalem and brought to where for 70 years? Babylon. And while they were there those 70 years, they couldn't worship like they had because they didn't have a temple, they didn't have altars, and their temple back in Jerusalem had been destroyed and ransacked as the city itself had been raised. But they would talk. Right? They knew the prophecies about the Messiah. They knew that Isaiah had said, one day this judgment, this, this exile is going to end and God's going to make springs like, like water in the desert. Jeremiah had prophesied that this would be 70 years and then, then would come their deliverance. And so they knew these truths. They knew these prophecies and they awaited the Messiah, but they would talk about it. They would sing their psalms about it. And so many of the psalms that you read in your scriptures are messianic psalms speaking of the Messiah who would come. And so they would talk about these things. So the, the, the tradition of Israel would have been at least some influence into the Babylonian culture. These magi, wise men, scholars, learners, they would take those things and they would, they would follow them and, and, and watch for them. And so these guys, these, these magi uh, saw the star, they make their travel, but they're looking for the one who is born king of the Jews. Of these prophecies that Israel would have been talking about while they were in Babylonian captivity, one of those was most likely this one right here from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, we have it recorded, verse 6 and 7 says this, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, now notice this, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now we know after because we're on the resurrection side of Christ, we know that these, these verses are, are talking about Jesus, the Messiah. So notice as it says, the government will be on his shoulders. And the reference there is to a king. You see, when a king uh, in, in that culture would, uh, would be suited up, if you will, it would be wearing his 
kingly garments. There would usually be uh, some sort of a sash, and usually it would be purple in color because purple is the, the color of royalty. And it would stretch across. You've seen, uh, you've seen Miss America pageants, right? And they have the little sash or Miss Rodeo USA or whatever. They have the sash that comes across. The king would have this purple sash that drapes over the shoulder. So this is talking about a king. This son who would be born would be a king. He would be royalty. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. That's a whole other sermon series from today, and we've done that one before at Christmas, so I don't have time to, to break all those down. But then verse 7, the dominion or his rule will be vast, and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. In other words, God's got his mindset that he's going to send his son to be the king of the heavens and the earth, to be the king of Israel on the throne of David, and ain't nothing going to stop that from happening. And I will say to you that when Jesus was born king, he is king, and he will always be king. Let's go there. Let's break that down a little bit this morning. So it was said, your first truth here, it was said, and so it was, Jesus was born the king. Now, Israel had a hard time seeing that because, like the kids in the video, that's not how most of them would tell the story. They thought the story would go that the Messiah would come with might and with power and authority and, and, and military and political prowess, and he would deliver them from the oppression of the Roman government in which, under which they were living. So that's what they expected this kingdom to look like, far from a baby in a manger born to poor, young, adult, late teen parents. That's not how they would have ever told the story, so, they, so many of them missed it. And, and never, never truly understood the truth of Jesus. You know, the angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 32, when he's telling Mary that uh, she's going to conceive and give birth to the, to the uh, Son of God. He says in verse 32, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him, notice this, the throne of his father David. That's where most of the Israelites were looking. One, he's got to come from the line of David, which Jesus did. But he would look like a king, kind of like what David looked like. And yet he didn't. Verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, say it with me, will have no end. When Jesus came, he came as the king. I reworded that in my notes this week. I originally had he came as a king. And I thought, nah, he's better than that. He's bigger than that. He's greater than that. He is the king. That's why we call him king of kings, right? So Jesus was born this king, and the king has come to the earth. 
In the first advent, Matthew 4, 17, Jesus begins his public ministry now. He's 30 years old, and he's beginning now his public ministry. He says this, From this time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is where? At hand. What's at hand mean? Right about here. The kingdom of heaven is right about here, Jesus says. This is how close you are to the kingdom, he says. You know why I would say it that way? Because he was the kingdom. He was the kingdom of God. The very God in flesh. God with us. And so he says the kingdom is at hand. It's here. This that has been prophesied, this that you have believed, this that you have cried for is at hand. And then he would take three and a half years to demonstrate the kingdom rule of heaven on earth. And it would culminate, the signs would culminate with his crucifixion and his resurrection. 162 times the Bible references the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, synonymous. They, they mean the same. It speaks of, when you speak of the kingdom of God, you are speaking about the authority and the power, the supremacy of God, meaning that He rules everything. He is over everything. We don't fully comprehend, probably, in our culture, the, the magnitude of the rule of a, of, a, of a king and their authority. In nations that are or, or were in their history governed uh, by a monarchy, you understand that, that in that kind of a culture and setting, the king rules forever. The king rules forever until he dies. And then the next in bloodline comes along. Jesus was born of the line of King David, and so the promise that the, that the Messiah would come from and would rule on David's throne came to pass, because that's Jesus. But as well, we know that the king who was born did not die. Well, let me back up. He did die. <laughs> he just didn't stay dead. There was no time or place for anyone else to replace him as king because three days later he came out of the grave and he lives today so the king lives forever another thing about living in a monarchy is the king's words are absolute they're not up for debate you don't legislate the king's rulings Jesus came as the Word. John tells us the Word became flesh. The words of Jesus, He taught with authority like none of the teachers of, of their day, none of the rabbis could teach with such power and authority as Jesus was teaching because He is the Word. He is the truth and He is absolute. And then another is that the King's authority is unlimited and unmatched. The king is the ultimate ruler of that kingdom. Jesus is king of kings. And he's Lord of lords. So it was said 
that a king would be born. Jesus says, this kingdom is now at hand. I am here as that king. And Jesus demonstrated his power and his authority. He demonstrated his power and authority over sickness and disease and infirmity. He demonstrated his power and authority over demons. He demonstrated his power and authority over nature and the creation that he himself was, it was created by him and for him. And he demonstrated his authority over the winds and the waves. He demonstrated his authority over the curse of sin. He demonstrated his authority over the power of death. Until Jesus rose from the dead, when you died, you died. Jesus conquered even the power of the most powerful force in this earth, death. And in Christ, and through Christ, that would now mean death is is never final. He demonstrated that he was the king of kings and the king of heaven and earth. The second truth then also is this. So it was said, so it was, the king was born, so it is, Jesus' kingdom is here. It was said by Isaiah that his kingdom would not end. Christmas will end on midnight of December 25th. The credit card statements will continue for a few months or longer, hopefully not, church. But the kingdom of Jesus doesn't end with the conclusion of the nativity story and then we move into the public ministry of Jesus in the scriptures. There's an end in the scriptures because it's got to transition to the next part of the ministry and mission of Christ. But the rule of Christ, the authority of this king, has not ended. He is still ruling his kingdom. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, He, talking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, and He is the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. By the way, side note real quick. Some of you are wondering, where's Sister Pastor? She's, uh, she's out of town visiting her mom this weekend. Took her Christmas shopping yesterday. So she'll be back later. But hi, Lisa. We love you. Oh, I just had to make sure you guys knew because I didn't want you thinking that she backslid or something like that because I really pray for her a lot. So <laughs> the full expression of the kingdom of Christ has not yet come. Though he rules as king today, and his rule is now, there is another part to his kingdom rule that is yet to come. So, so there, there are those who would teach that you and I are living in what is called the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. Now, I will, um, well, part of the problem with that is it's been over two year, 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father. But um, and we'll talk about the thousand years in just a moment, but, but that's not accurate according to the Scriptures. As I see it and as I read it, the kingdom of God is here, but it's not in its fullest manifestation yet. That will come. That is part of the prophecy that's still yet to be 
fulfilled. But as sure as those were fulfilled at the first coming, those concerning the second will be fulfilled. That's why we're discussing what we're discussing these weeks. He rules three places that Jesus rules right now. One, he rules the heavens. He rules the heavens. In Colossians, and I won't read it to you, but Colossians chapter 2, 15 summarized says this. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities by the cross and by his resurrection. You'll remember Paul taught us this about spiritual warfare. And he said, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities. Wednesday night Bible study this last week, we were talking about that, uh, that, that kind of hierarchy that's in the heavenly realms of the spirit of darkness and the spirit of God's kingdom, God, the, spirit, the, the, the kingdom of heaven and, and the warfare that takes place. And so Paul says there are principalities, powers, rulers, and authorities. And in Colossians, he says, Jesus has disarmed them. They are subject to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's why when uh, these guys in the book of Acts tried to cast demons out of some guys or out of a man that they didn't even know Jesus, they just heard Paul preach and saw him cast demons out. So they walked up, thought they'd try to try to do it themselves and said, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the demons looked through the man's eyes, said this, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you guys? But the demons, they knew who Jesus was, oh yeah. Scriptures tell us that those demons of darkness tremble at the name of Jesus. So he rules in the heavenlies. He rules in the hearts of those who will believe. I trust and pray that he's ruling in your heart today. For he says in Luke chapter 17, verse 21, remember we read uh, earlier that, that Jesus says the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here he says in Luke chapter 17, 21, the kingdom of God is in you. The kingdom of God resides in you because you have been born again, born of the Spirit of Christ who is King of kings and Lord of lords. So he rules the hearts from within of those who choose to believe, obey, and follow him. And then he will rule in the hereafter. In Revelation, we read of the millennial 1,000-year reign of Christ from the very city of Jerusalem. Mark 16. Let me show you something here that Jesus leaves with the church in our generation. Mark 16 is the, the concluding words of Jesus as, as written by, by Mark. And in Matthew, we read what we call the Great Commission. This is... This is that same conversation, but this is, this is how Mark saw it and, and heard it and wrote it from his own personality as the Holy Spirit inspired him. It says in verse 15, Then Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's why we send missionaries. That's why. We support the work of missionaries. That's why we, we do missions here at home and we reach out because those who believe will be saved. Those who don't will be condemned. Verse 17 now, And these signs will accompany those who believe. 
In my name, he's given the authority of his name. He said the same thing in Matthew chapter 28. All authority has been given to me, he said there. Go into the nations. So, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, he says, they will drive out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. That's what he says happens when he leaves and sends his Holy Spirit to the church. Those who believe will do these things. They will be done by Jesus through us in the name of Jesus. His kingdom rule is here. And he gives to his church this, this calling. Now, let me, let me just say about this here. So the signs will accompany those who believe. Jesus has authority over demons. He has authority over sickness and disease. He says they will pick up snakes. Mm-mm. No, not me. We ain't snake handlers. And I don't think Jesus was giving us a commission to be snake handlers. What he's giving a commission on and a decree is that nothing, whether it be snakes or poison, nothing will harm those who are believing. It's a speaking of his divine protection. Now, we know later on in the book of Acts, the apostle Paul in the later chapters uh, on the island of, of, of Malta would be bitten by a deadly snake. And all of a sudden, everybody thinks, okay, what's this voodoo going on here? This guy's going to die. He's been preaching, but now he's going to die. And he didn't die. And it opened the door to the preaching of the gospel because Jesus was working his signs. So he gives us this commission as followers. He, he expects that those who are believing him and following him will be characterized by, by miraculous supernatural activity. Anybody believe that? Two of us? No wonder nobody's getting saved around that community. Just kidding, sort of. Church, that's what he anticipates. He says, those who believe will. He says, these signs will follow. Here, here's something that, that I, I talked to the Lord about this week. I, I think... That, that this is, is some clarity he's given to me. The question, why does not much of that supernatural happen today in our generation? Is Jesus pulling back the reins? No. He desires nobody should perish, so he's, he's ready to save people. And if that means signs and wonders that capture them and, and their, their, their attention to him so he can save them, then and you realize that's what the miracles of Jesus were about. They were to point to the fact that he was, that he was God in flesh. You see, they, he, he would go to forgive a guy's sin who was, who was lame. And, and the people would say, what right do you have to forgive sin? And he tells the guy to get up and he gets up healed. And Jesus said, that's the authority I have to forgive sin. They were signs pointing to him and his authority. They still are. But here's where I think maybe we don't see those supernatural things following the church today as they should. 
You see, maybe we make more about the signs in the charismatic Pentecostal movement than we do about the sign maker giver. Maybe we're, maybe we pursue this idea of signs as though it's a badge of honor or a badge of spiritual maturity. It's not how the disciples saw it. They did until Jesus straightened them out. Remember, he sent them all out, 72 of them. And he said, you will cast out demons and you will heal the sick and you will preach the gospel. And, and they went out and they came back. And as they're, as they're talking with Jesus, they give him an update of what happened while they were out doing the works of the, of the kingdom. And they say, Jesus, even the demons bowed to us in your name. And Jesus says, whoa, boys, let's stop for just a moment. Don't rejoice that demons bow down to you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Second part to this that I think fills in another blank for us, why do these things not happen, is that we make them to be a big, huge something that we work toward or work up to. Do you realize in the lives of the disciples in the book of Acts, these signs and wonders that followed the apostles and the believers were occurrences that were happening in their day-to-day comings and goings. Peter and John, fresh out of the upper room experience in Acts 2. Acts 3, they're going to the temple to pray as they have done for years and continue to do. And as they're going to the temple, there's the, the, the lame beggar who's been there for, for eons, for years it says. And he's asking for money, and they say, you know what? We don't have silver and gold. Look, just get up and, and walk. There wasn't a big ceremony. There wasn't a revival meeting called. These guys are just going somewhere. And in the process, the anointing pours out of them into this man's life and his body, and he's healed. So maybe we're just supposed to be going where we go and doing what we do full of the Spirit of Christ, speaking the truth of Christ, doing the truth of Christ, and being the Spirit-filled representation of Christ just in our coming and in our going it's an overflow it's an outflow if you will so chew on that a little bit so it was said and so it was a king was born so it is that his kingdom is now though it is not yet completely fulfilled which leads us to the third truth it was said and so it will be Jesus will reign forever. His kingdom will be completely fulfilled and established over both the heavens and the earth. At his first coming, his kingdom was inaugurated. It will be fully realized at his second coming. Remember Isaiah said there would be no end to his kingdom. The first time Jesus came, he came as a baby in a manger. The second time he comes, we read it last week, he comes on a, on a white horse. His tongue is like a sword. And having 
written on the robe, on his thighs, on his robe is the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He comes as a mighty, warring king. Daniel, Daniel foretold this. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, this is well over, well, about 500 years before the first coming of Christ. Daniel 7, verse 14 says this. In his vision, he saw that he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. What does Revelation tell us? What did John see when the curtain of heaven was pulled back? He saw people from every tribe, nation, and language surrounding the throne of God. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Let me just encourage some faith for you this morning. Daniel never lived physically on this earth long enough to see that happen, but it happened. You might say, well, man, my grandmother used to talk about the rapture. She believed the rapture was going to happen in her generation, and, and, and it didn't. But that doesn't mean it didn't go happen. It's going to happen in God's time and in God's place and in God's way. The good news for Grandma is she was saved and a follower of Christ. She was born again, so she isn't dead anyway. And when that rapture happens, she will be caught up to be with him. We talked about that last week. Daniel saw it long before it's ever... We don't even see it yet, what Daniel saw. So how do these end times play out? Let me just kind of give you a little breakdown as I see it through Scripture. The next big event, I told you last week, when you look at the seven feasts of Israel, the first four have been fulfilled. We are living in the Feast of Harvest right now. At the end of harvest comes the Feast of Trumpets. What did Paul say in Thessalonians? At the sound of the trumpet with the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who are still alive will be caught up to meet Him in the air. The next event that happens in God's eternal timeline is this rapture, this taking away of the church, the the saints of, of Christ either who have gone by way of the grave or who are living at that moment in the twinkling of an eye that He comes and takes us. It's called the first resurrection in the book of Revelation. So the rapture takes place. That's why, that's why we're preaching this. It's the next thing. That's why we take time at the close of our services to just leave it open-ended and let you worship and let you pray and let you press into Jesus however you need to because we want to be ready. And so we kind of design that close of our service to just be a, a time for you to enter into the Lord however you so desire. We're trying to get out of the box, trying to remove the, the perimeters of the box to, to make ourselves in a position and place to be ready for Jesus. So the rapture happens. When the rapture happens, then begins the seven-year tribulation period. The tribulation is not now. COVID is a mess. Quarantine is a mess. The riots and the protests and, and all of the chaos and confusion, that's a mess. That is not and this is not the tribulation period. No, this pales in comparison to what the Scriptures indicate the tribulation will be. Just common sense and reasonable thinking tells you that when, when 
thousands upon thousands, if not millions upon millions of living souls are caught up in an instant. Who's going to clean that mess up on the freeways in the country? Who's going to show up to do your job the next day? Who's going to be there to make sure the power lines are, are still up so that whoever is left can get to your computer and finish your job? Who's going to, who's going to, who's going to be taking care of, of the financial situation? What's, what's, I mean, the economy's going to crash worldwide, not, not just one nation. The economy's going to crash. Everything's going to be in chaos, and everybody's looking for somebody to come along with a solution. That's where the Antichrist gets the opportunity. Masquerading as a, as a man of peace. And the best way to put all this infrastructure and everything back together around the world is we all do it together. So we need a, a one world government. Because if this president or this king of this nation, this president of this nation has one idea and another, no, that's not going to help us solve this. We need one. I've got a plan. Will you, will you let me implement my plan? We need to stop the fighting. We need to deal with our economy, and it's going to be so much better if we could just have one, one exchange of currency instead of so many different. So the seven-year tribulation. Let me, and, and the tribulation is God's, it is a season, it is seven years that Daniel saw, by the way, in his dreams and his, his vision, you read about him in the book of Daniel, the 70 weeks. 69 of those have been fulfilled when Christ came the first time. From the time Cyrus gave the edict that Israel could go back home from, from Babylon, Persia, to the time Christ came, the 69 sets of seven. We've talked about that a couple of weeks ago. There's one seven-week period, or seven-week, yeah, one seven-week, which means seven years, uh, still awaiting the fulfillment of God's work of redemption. Daniel said, Lord, show me what's in store for Israel. 69 sets of seven, 480-something years, and one set of seven. The tribulation is God's working to bring Israel to him. That during that seven years, every nation on the earth will align itself to destroy Israel, to overthrow Israel and the city of Jerusalem. And when all of that is taking place and it comes near the end of that, the hearts of the people of Israel turn, according to the Scriptures, and they, they call. They call on the Messiah. That's where He comes, as we read last week. Riding on the horse. His tongue is like a sword. He destroys the Antichrist's armies. He destroys those armies of the nations and annihilates them. And then He moves into setting his throne in Jerusalem. The second coming. So the, the rapture is not the full second coming of Christ. It's two phases, remember? The rapture is Jesus coming in the clouds and catching us up with him. His feet don't touch the earth when he comes to rapture the church. His feet touch the earth when he comes to annihilate the enemies of Israel. Then he sets up a throne in the city of Israel, and from that throne, that position of authority... He will rule the nations of the earth for 1,000 years. And then you say, well, what happens after the 1,000 years? Well, 
according to the scriptures near the book of near the end of Revelation, there comes a new heaven and a new earth. Whole nother teachings on all of that. We're talking about the kingdom and authority of Jesus. So he will reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords forever. For time's sake, well, no, dude, I want to be blessed. So I'm going to go ahead and read you some verses out of Revelation. I was going to summarize them for you, but it doesn't say he who summarizes these words will be blessed. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to grab me some more blessing. Now, if you want to read along somewhere in there, jump right in. I'm not going to, but Revelation chapter 20, we see about this uh, millennial reign of Christ. So verse 4, here we go. Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I believe... I'm not a scholar, but many scholars who I have respect for believe that that is the raptured church, ruling with Christ to judge the nations. I also saw the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus, because of the Word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So we're talking about we're talking about followers of Christ, saints who were raptured or resurrected from the dead at, the, at that uh, uh, trumpet call of God, and the saints, Christians who got saved during the tribulation period, who were martyred because they got saved, they are resurrected as well. And it says they will reign as well with Christ for a thousand years. That is, a thousand is a millennial. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed, right? So when Jesus comes and the rapture happens, uh, you and I are, are caught up to be with him, but, but what, about, uh, what about the ones who, who did not believe on Christ, who, who chose to reject and refuse to believe the gospel? Well, they're not resurrected yet. They will be resurrected at the end of the 1,000 years, and they will be judged at what is called the great white throne judgment. This is the first resurrection, the, the resurrection of the saints. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death, that second death is the lake of fire. So everybody, everybody dies once unless you were raptured. Then you're, you're resurrected. And if you... If you weren't resurrected at that trumpet call of God when Christ takes us to be with Him, if you weren't resurrected then, you will be resurrected after the thousand years, but you're going to die a second death. That second death is being cast into the lake of fire, eternal punishment for, for the sin. Can I just remind you what the good news is? There is a way out. There is an absolute way to not wake up in the middle of the night tonight in cold sweat wondering about the second death. Because at the great white throne judgment, those who have believed and called on the name of Jesus are not at the great white throne judgment. You don't have to be there. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God. Notice this. And of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand 
years. The fulfillment of the kingdom of God in heaven is at the millennial reign of Christ on this earth. He will literally rule the heavens and the earth from the earth. And he will be seen. He will be visible. He will be approachable. As he looked into the eyes of the disciples and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, those of us who have been caught up with him, he will be visible. He will be seeable. He will be able to be heard. But he will rule. And what is he ruling? There's another event that happens right at the beginning of that millennial reign. It's called the judgment of the nations. He will judge nations according to their treatment of Israel, going all the way back to the day God spoke to Abram eons ago and said, those who bless you will be blessed, those who curse you will be cursed. Can I just tell you, God doesn't have a short memory. God doesn't have senior moments. He remembers what he said in the beginning. He remembers every word he's ever said. And when he says it, so it was said, so it will be. The millennial reign of Christ, his kingdom coming, and our privilege and opportunity through faith in him to be a part of that. So it was said that the king is born. So it was. Jesus was born king. So it is. His kingdom is here. And so it will be. Jesus will reign forever. His kingdom will be completely fulfilled. So what does that mean for us? If the next event in God's timeline is this rapture, this taking away of the church, what does that mean for you and I right here on December 6, 2020? It means we need to look for that. We need to be watchful. We need to be alert and we need to be aware of our relationship to Jesus. We can't take that for granted. Well, I prayed a prayer 30 years ago. Good. Are you praying prayers today? Are you worshiping Jesus today in a deeper way than you did 30 years ago? Meaning you've, you've matured. You've grown. You're growing closer to Him. I go back. I told you this as we I go back. And it's been stirring. Probably come a message out of this sometime maybe into next year. The ten virgins. It's pretty cut and dry, folks. Five were ready when the bridegroom came. Five were not. And the five who were not desperately knew they needed to be and they weren't and they wanted help from the ones who were and the ones who were couldn't give it to them because it was too late to go buy more oil. I'm not saying this to scare you unless in the fact that it puts the fear of God in you to get things right, to get things ready. As a doctor might say, get your affairs in order. Meaning, get close to Jesus. Get real with Jesus. Get right with Jesus. Stay real. Stay right with Jesus. Don't play games. Don't play religion. Don't play Sunday morning church. Get real with Jesus. Jesus 
in you, coming and going. So Philippians chapter 2. Paul, after saying and describing how Jesus became a servant and he, he died on the cross out of obedience to God, it says that because of that obedience, it says God exalted him. He says here in verse 5, Have this mind or this attitude among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, the NIV Bible says, Let your attitude be the same as that of Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Then verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Not will give him this name, has given him this name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, Every knee in this house represented right now. Every knee connected to people watching online right now. Every knee of the people that have been driving by here today. Every knee across the face of the earth will acknowledge and bow to the Lord King Jesus. There was another verse I was going to read to you from the Old Testament. Or, well, no, I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's from Revelation. And it talks about that uh, every nation will cry out because they will look on the one whom they have pierced. In other words, when Christ comes and establishes that rule, there is no doubt he is exactly who the Bible always said he was. And those who rejected him, the nations will weep and cry. Those who pierced him. He's not talking about those few people who stabbed him with a spear and placed a crown of thorns. He's talking about everybody who has ever rejected his sacrifice and offering for the forgiveness of their sins. They will cry out because they will realize, like the five virgins who were not ready, it is too late. Why didn't I believe? When I had that opportunity. You say, man, God's harsh. No. Because today, just like he has been for years, he's given you the truth. He loves you. Oh, no, he loves you. He loves you enough that he left heaven to come to this earth to die so you would not have to die. And spend eternity. That death meaning separated from him for eternity. You see, he didn't create hell for any human. He created hell for fallen demons. When humanity decided to fall and pull away and reject him, that place was available. 
So it's not that he doesn't love you, and it's not that he's harsh. No, he's holy. He's holy. And he's come to make us holy. By believing on his son, Jesus Christ, and receiving the forgiveness of our sins and repenting from our sin and turning to him and letting him be Lord, that we bow our knee now so that when the world is bowing before Jesus at the beginning of the millennial, we're sitting on thrones with him. You see, you bow your knee now you bow your knee later. Jesus is your Lord now or he will be that Lord one day who determines your eternal place and you don't get to argue it. In fact, I believe those that are there at the great white throne are quite aware that's exactly where they deserve to be. You say, but pastor, I'm too bad. I'm too, I deserve the great white throne. No, we all do. For the wages of our sin is death. And we've all sinned against the glory of God. But God loves us. And he sent his only son to us. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. My friends, I don't know when. The trumpet call sounds. None of us will know until that exact moment when all of a sudden we are in his presence. We were driving. We were mowing. We were eating. And now we're with him. So the only thing we're left with is take him at his word. So it was. So it is. And so it will be. We bow now. We bow now. We bow to King Jesus now. We make him king now. We let him be Lord of our lives.